Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about what caused the baby formula shortage in the U.S., how Republicans blamed it on Biden, and how they're blocking efforts to actually solve it. And I interview Fox LA's Alex Michelson about California's upcoming races, some of the most dangerous winners of Republican primaries, and whether he thinks California Governor Gavin Newsom will eventually throw his hat in the ring for president. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. Okay, so I want to focus on an issue that's really overtaken the country in the last couple of weeks. It's one of the more visceral issues. It is the baby formula shortage. Now, just a quick explainer on what landed us here. In February, Abbott Nutrition, which is the largest infant formula manufacturer in the U.S., saw one of its largest production facilities out in Sturgis, Michigan, shut down after bacterial contamination was linked to four infants getting sick and two infants dying. As a result of losing one of Abbott's largest facilities, There was obviously a shortage in infant formula. That's just basic supply and demand, right? When you take away uh, one major supplier, you're left with an inevitable shortage. Couple that with the fact that the U.S. produces 98% of the infant formula that's consumed here in the U.S., meaning this isn't a market where farm producers can fill in gaps in the supply. And remember that Trump's USMCA deal that replaced NAFTA actually sought to reduce baby formula production in Canada by preventing it from being exported into the U.S., Cut to four years later, and this is what America First looks like when the entire baby formula market is owned by just a couple of companies here in the U.S. without the ability to import a formula to fill in any supply gaps. And we can get into why our antitrust regulations in this country are a complete failure, but that's another episode entirely. Anyway, you will be shocked to hear that Republicans have used this opportunity to attack who else but Joe Biden, even though the White House had zero impact on this. And the only impact that the federal government did have was that the FDA shut down the Sturgis plant because they'd actually cut a ton of corners and ignored a bunch of warning signs and their formula was killing babies. So I know that Republicans love to vilify government bureaucracy, but that government bureaucracy saved God knows how many lives by intervening. So Republicans are using every waking minute to slam the left because babies are hungry. And so why not exploit that really visceral crisis for partisan gain? And so every day it's, this is Joe Biden's America, this never happened when Trump was in office, Biden doesn't care about babies, and on and on. The attacks are bullshit, but that still doesn't mean we don't move to fix them, right? So House Democrats introduced legislation. They introduced the Infant Formula Supplemental Appropriations Act that provided $28 million in emergency funding to the FDA. And some people are complaining about this, that this isn't money for formula, it's for government bureaucrats. That $28 million funds FDA inspection staff. It provides funding for those working on formula issues. It stops dangerous, fraudulent formula from entering the U.S. marketplace. If none of those are in place, if there are no safety measures put in place beforehand because we didn't want to fund them, then what stops a pre-existing crisis from going from bad to worse? This not only helps ensure that we can restock the shelves safely, but it stops the issue from happening again. And yet, when the bill came up for a vote, It passed 231 to 192, with every single no vote coming from Republicans. Consider, too, the Access to Baby Formula Act that ensured that low-income families could continue to buy formula with WIC benefits, women, infant, and children benefits. 
That passed 414 to 9, with all of those no votes being Republicans. And of course, you can already guess which Republicans, from Matt Gates to Marjorie Taylor Greene. In other words, you've got this party that's taken every opportunity to complain about a problem and pin that blame on Joe Biden for an issue that he quite literally had nothing to do with. And yet when Democrats actually offered a solution, you've got a parade of Republicans falling over themselves to vote against it. And the reason here is obvious. It's because problems like this one, which they falsely claim is a governing failure by Democrats, help them politically. Republicans don't want the baby formula shortage to be fixed any more than they want gas prices to go down or immigration to stop. They want these problems to subsist because they are useful as talking points, which is why Republicans quite literally never have a single solution for any of these problems. They'll hold press conferences until they're blue in the face, but there's no legislation, no bills, no ideas, no fixes. They would rather Americans continue to get hurt because that helps them politically. And if you think both parties do it, consider this. When Trump was president, every single Democrat voted for the $2 trillion CARES Act, the, uh, the initial COVID relief package, even though doing so would invariably help Donald Trump. But when Biden took office and all we gotten after almost a year of this pandemic was one relief package and the Democrats introduced the American Rescue Plan, zero Republicans voted for that because hurting Biden was more important than helping Americans. So when these Republicans stand at their podiums and go off about how criminal it is that there's a baby formula shortage in the U.S., it is proof that they understand the seriousness of this issue. They understand that it's life and death, which makes it all the worse when they turn around and vote against the solutions because they are admitting that they want an issue that's serious and scary not to get fixed. And that's about as damning an indictment as you'll ever find. Next up, I'm joined by Alex Michelson. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, now we've got the host of Fox LA's The Issue Is and The Issue Is podcast, Alex Michelson. Alex, thank you for coming back on. Brian, always great to be with you. So let's start in our beautiful home state of California and actually our beautiful home city of Los Angeles. We've got a mayoral race fast approaching on June 7th. It's looking like a battle between progressive candidate Karen Bass and former Republican turned Democrat Rick Caruso. So what's the state of that race right now? He would say moderate candidate. Rick Caruso. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, first up, I, I think people should think about elections in California and so many other parts of the country differently. Um, I think the, the right way to say it is the last day to vote is June 7th, because ballots went out to every single registered voter uh, in L.A. County and, and in the entire state of California um, in the beginning of May. Um, so a lot of people have already voted. Um, in this race. And some people may have their ballot, you know, looking at it right now as they listen to this podcast. And so it's kind of a rolling election. Um, in terms of the state of this race, um, there, you know, were several candidates in this race, but it really is seem to be coming down to these two. Uh, Karen Bass, somebody well known across the country for a minute, she was considered to be Joe Biden's VP candidate. Um, she was the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus during the 
George Floyd incident. She was the author of the George Floyd Justice in Policing Bill, um, somebody who was the Speaker of California's Assembly when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor and the first woman to ever do that. She was a a community organizer, a, a nurse practitioner who worked in emergency rooms. And, and after the LA riots, she founded the Community Coalition, which is still in place uh, and is something that really has helped um, at the time with the crack epidemic and helped for years and years in, in helping to educate young people in the Black community. That's Karen Bass. Um, on the other hand, you've got Rick Caruso. Um, somebody who is well known for anybody who's ever traveled to Southern California. You may not know his name, but you probably know his properties. Uh, there's a chance you've been to the Grove, uh, which is a big shopping mall in LA that is visited by as many people as Disneyland every year. <laughs> That's how many people go to the Grove and the Americana and the Palisades Village, all these different spots, which um, people, whenever you come to LA, you probably stop by one of these spots. He's got billions of dollars. Um, and he had some experience in, in LA politics in the past. He was the president of the police commission. Um, he also uh, was worked on DWP and the Coliseum Commission. Um, but he's trying to run this thing as an outsider, um, as somebody who's not a part of the political establishment. And the big issues that he's touching on in this city, which are big issues also around the country, are crime, which is a huge issue across the country. And the big issue here in LA and in California is homelessness. It's issue number one. The LA Times put out a poll that showed more than 90% of people saw homelessness as issue number one. And the problem here is so bad that it is causing some people who have been progressives for their entire life to say, hey, maybe this isn't working, or maybe we need somebody new, or maybe we need to try something different. And it's created this opening for Rick Caruso. But I think that the most important thing when talking about this race is just to talk about the money. <laughs> Rick Caruso has spent $25 million so far on a primary for mayor. Uh, that's shattering all records. Uh, Karen Bass's campaign just did their first ad buy this week of $660,000, which is a significant ad buy, but still, how can you compete with $25 million? Right. And for anybody that's lived anywhere near this city, they've seen Rick Caruso's ad on TV over and over again. It's on YouTube ads. It's probably on an ad for this show somehow. I'm <laughs> sure he's paid Brian, and you're probably doing a read for Rick Caruso at some point. I mean, the guy is everywhere. And Karen Bass, who came into this as the big favorite for this race, because she, it's been hard for her to compete with that. So you've got this situation to finish up the longest answer in the history of this podcast, um, where uh, June 7th comes, and the way the race works is the top two, uh, it, it, it's if, if somebody gets over 50% on the June 7th ballot, they become the mayor. The race is over. If somebody doesn't, then the top two people have a runoff in November. And because Caruso has been able to spend so much money, what he's trying to do right now is to get to 50% on June 7th and this thing before a lot of the Democratic interest groups can get together and get all their attacks up against Rick Caruso. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today. Alex, thank you so much for, yeah. <laughs> for joining. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I have, uh, I, first of all, I have not taken any money <laughs> i've not not oh, been paid, paid, I'm paid. Yeah. yeah but uh second of all i've actually gotten ads in my mailbox 
almost on a daily basis for Rick Caruso. So it's wild. I mean, I've never, ever, ever seen political advertising to this degree in LA. Um, you had you had touched on the fact that this, this contest is pretty much centered on crime and homelessness. Mm-hmm. How do voters seem to be reconciling having someone like Rick Caruso, who is positioning himself as being tough on those top issues of crime and homelessness, with the fact that this is still Los Angeles. It's the progressive bastion of the state and and in many ways the country. Um, and the guy was a Republican until the moment he decided he wanted to be in politics. Well, I think our friends in San Francisco would like to say that they're the uh, <laughs> progressive bastion of, of the state. But, but to the point, though, um, I think because Rick Caruso has had $25 million of ads on and Karen Bass has had almost none, um, most voters don't know that he was a Republican. Yeah. I mean, the negative ad that finally started to air this week, finally, thanks to Jeffrey Katzenberg pumping in $600,000, talks about Rick Caruso was a Republican and he was uh, not necessarily pro-choice and he donated to Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and all that stuff. But that just started airing like yesterday. Imagine how many more ads we could have had if he uh, if he never did Quibi. <laughs> He's been on the air Um, you know, Caruso has been on the air basically by himself. And so what his message has been, hasn't been, I used to be a Republican. His (laughs) message is homelessness is bad. Crime is bad. Corruption is bad. I'm an outsider and I can fix it. And you know what? Right now, that's a pretty good message. He also has hired the best Democratic ad firm in the state. The guys that work for Gavin Newsom and Alex Padilla and Kamala Harris and Robert Garcia and so many other successful campaigns. And this guy, A. Smith, who runs that firm, his specialty is negative ads against people tying them to Republican extremism. Well, he's working for Caruso. (laughs) (laughs) If he was working for somebody else, they would be making those ads. But he's got that guy on his payroll. Yeah. So, you know, that that hasn't really been an issue yet. Now, if and that's part of the reason why Caruso wants to win so bad on June 7th, because I don't think they're going to have enough time or money to make that a huge issue. Now, if they have a few more months and they've got more money and Bass is able to consolidate everybody and all the interest groups get involved, they might be able to tribalize the race, make it more of a partisan thing and have that be successful in the fall. But right now. That doesn't really seem to be the case. You know, while we're on the subject of these of these bizarre bedfellows uh, in California, you actually just spoke with Snoop Dogg this week. <laughs> can you can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, so this this gets to the point that like because issues are so bad when it comes to crime and homelessness, people are coming forward with weird collections of people. So this week, Rick Caruso invited me out to cover this event um, with him and. This woman named Sweet Alice Harris, who has been this sort of bedrock community activist for 40 years. And she says that Rick Caruso has been funding a lot of her good work and her philanthropy for years. And Caruso has, by the way, he's been incredibly generous in South L.A. and Skid Row and other places for years and years. I mean, I covered that myself 15 years ago, Rick Caruso, before he got into politics. Um, So she backed him, which was kind of seen as a bit of a slap in the face to Karen Bass, who would be the first black woman ever to be LA's mayor, that this yeah. very strong, powerful, popular black woman is backing the rich white guy, right. essentially. Yeah. But while we're in the middle of that, uh, he, he says, 
oh, okay, uh, Snoop Dogg's on Zoom. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then we go over there and I say, hi, you know, and he's he's talking about how great Sweet Al's is. And I'm like, I is he endorsing Caruso? So I said, what the hell? When am I ever going to get the opportunity to be on Zoom with Snoop Dogg? I'm going to snap up and say something. So I said, hi, Snoop. I'm, I'm Alex from Fox. And he's like, what up, Alex? <laughs> it's like, this is so weird. And But then he said, yes, I'm endorsing Caruso. He said he's the real deal. He's been with her for all these years. You've got to be there in the community. So, you know, Caruso is not Donald Trump, even though some people might want to make him out to be. That being said, also Karen Bass has been so involved in the community for so many decades as well. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the months ahead. A lot of this also has ties to the to the LADA race. Um, there's a, a recall effort against George Gascon, the LADA right now. Can you can you give a rundown on why that is? Yeah, and that's become a big national issue as well. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, made a whole um, documentary about it, which I'm sure many of your uh, listeners also subscribe to Fox Nation. <laughs> that's right. Uh, a lot of cross-section, and it yeah. was the most uh, streamed documentary in the history of Fox Nation. Uh, so there's there's a lot of anger on the right about George Gascon, but there's also some anger on the left as well. George Gascon is a progressive prosecutor. Um, he comes from San Francisco, where he used to be the DA there. Um, um, there's another DA in San Francisco named Chesa Bowden, who is uh, facing a recall um, election in, in June. Um, there is an effort underway for Gascon to be recalled that has hundreds of thousands of signatures. And um, they think that that's going to eventually get onto the ballot as well. Just yesterday, one of the LA County supervisors, Catherine Barger, endorsed that effort. And this is part of this push and pull that we've seen in California and so many other states as well. Um, this idea of too much crime punishment, not enough crime punishment. Um, in California, back in, in the 90s, we had pretty harsh um, crime laws put into place after a big outbreak of crime, which, by the way, crime was way worse then than it is now. Things like the three strikes law and you're out. Um, the, our jails became so overcrowded in this state that the United States Supreme Court ruled that it was cruel and unusual punishment and required um, that they get people out of some of these jails. So then we started passing uh, uh, things, including this thing called Prop 47, which was super controversial, that George Gascone actually wrote, um, which reduced what a felony would be in terms of stealing something. So you can steal up to $950 and it'll be a misdemeanor. And so what we've seen is that George Gascone doesn't prosecute a lot of felonies, has, uh, does not believe in bail at all, um, does not believe in prosecuting any minors as adults, um, and has sort of changed the, the way that the DA's office worked. Um, you know who doesn't like that? The people that work in the DA's office. <laughs> there was a vote of, of, the, of 900 people that work in the DA's office for George Gascone. And 90 plus percent of them voted that he should be recalled. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's part of um, this larger battle in terms of progressive politics, um, where it is. But people like Gavin Newsom, the governor, who actually had appointed George Gascon to offices in the past. Rob Bonta, our attorney general, who's up for reelection himself, had endorsed George Gascon. Um, but there's clearly a lot of pushback. And it's not just people on the right. Some people on the left are are irritated with what's happening as well. So let's talk about Gavin Newsom, but uh, but first let's let's come back after a quick break. 
Okay, so Gavin Newsom a couple of days ago announced that California's budget surplus is expected to hit uh, an unprecedented $97 billion. So mm. first of all, I just got to note, we have the bluest state in the country that somehow managed to be the most fiscally responsible, which is weird because Republicans <laughs> have been telling us for decades that Democrats are reckless spenders and that we need some fiscal conservative adults in the room. So just had to well, put you know, that out you, there. you know what Republicans would say to that, right? Not that I'm here to, to argue the Republican perspective. They would say that the state is way overtaxed and that it's absurd to have a hundred billion dollar deficit. That's actually not good fiscal management. If you had a business, you wouldn't want to have a, a surplus that big and uh, and that we should be taxing people less and let people spend their own money. So that, that's just what they would say. They would say that. But <laughs> to my point, with all of that money, we're able to like undertake projects that other states wouldn't be able to do. So so what's the plan for all of this cash? Well, some of the money is going to go back to people. Um, part of what uh, the, the governor wants to do is do at least $18 billion going back um, in some sort of gas tax rebate. It's all being negotiated about how much and to who and do rich people get it or not and what are the caps and all that. I believe but, that's uh, a that's a constitutional protection in California too. That's that's it's it's in statute that it has to come back to it to a certain degree to the taxpayers if we if have to we hit a surplus. certain limit, which Newsom's team is actually arguing we haven't hit that limit, but it get that gets real complicated and we're we're in weirdly in the weeds. But uh some of the money's coming back. A big chunk of the money and, and what really the money should go to is a rainy day fund uh, because the way that our state uh, gets money is it's almost entirely on super wealthy people's capital gains. When the rich are doing well, the state has huge surpluses. When the rich aren't doing well, unfortunately, it looks like Wall Street could be going for a big dive. You know, the state is, has no money. I mean, when Jerry Brown and Arnold Schwarzenegger were governor, we had $50 billion deficits. <laughs> yeah. So um, that some of it is, OK, let's put some of that money aside. Some of it is what you want to talk about is probably is infrastructure projects and, and trying to uh, modernize our infrastructure. Some of it is homelessness. There's going to be twelve billion dollars spent uh, to try to deal with homelessness next year, which is a record. This year it was a billion. Next year it's going to be twelve. Um, and, and so when, when you've got one hundred billion dollars to go around, you can fund a lot of things at the same time. In light of the impending Roe decision, California is also moving to codify abortion protections in the California Constitution and bolstering funding for out-of-state women to be able to receive care, uh, both of which I think are worth noting here. You know, we, we've spoken about this. Do you think Newsom is jockeying or positioning himself to run for president? Well, he said this week that he has, quote, sub-zero interest in running for president. Um, and that he wants uh, in 2024, he said 2024, uh, and uh, that, you know, he wants Kamala Harris to be the successor to Joe Biden is what he said. Now, there is nobody in the state, nobody in the state that really follows this stuff that actually believes that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy clearly, like every politician wants to be president. I mean, Brian Tyler Cohen wants to be president. At least part of him does. I mean, when you got to that, oh, you were there in the White House and the Oval you're is there not part of you that was like, nah, this this could be okay, right? I mean, part of you, e even if you didn't have to run for it, if you were just like appointed it, there's part of you that would want to be that. Look, right? the White House is cool, but but I wear gym shorts every day, and that's cool too. So it'd, it'd be a tough decision. Okay, know? we well we know that's a yes, just like Gavin Newsom's <laughs> answer that was BS. So uh, yes, Gavin Newsom, uh, or at least has thought about it. And, and and how do you get to be a job like California governor where you haven't thought about it? At least that's that's my interpretation. Um, right. 
But yes, I mean, I, I saw uh, Gab. I was with Gavin Newsom uh, during his uh, press conference about about Roe um, at a Planned Parenthood in Los Angeles. We were actually going to maybe do an interview that day, and instead he did this press conference. And I and I've never seen him more passionate and fired up than he was that day. I think he does um, genuinely, uh, passionately believe um, that this is a fundamental rights issue, and, and he's outraged by by this and, and sees this as a, um, a stepping stone to getting rid of privacy rights, which could undo a lot of other rights. Um, he talked about you know, same-sex marriage, which is obviously something he's been a big proponent of um, since 2004. Um, uh, he thinks that this could potentially lead open to that um, being challenged again. He even talked about interracial marriage you know, uh, on that day. And, and, and he said in a tweet that day that this Roe issue is the definitive issue of the 2022 election. Which, which I pushed back and said, not inflation or homelessness or anything else. And he said, for him, you know, this is, is a fundamental issue. And without this, you don't have all the rest of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in his bones, he, he really does believe it. But there's also no doubt that he thinks that this is a big political winner for him. Um, and clearly, issues like homelessness and inflation and all the rest of that is more complicated for the Democratic Party right now. Uh, but the polls on this, especially on a state like California, there is no doubt uh, where uh, the, the people are on this and they are on the same uh, page as where the governor is at. Yeah. Well, you know, while, while we're on the topic of, of candidates, looking at some of the candidates who've won their primaries thus far across the country, you see a guy like Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania running for governor, for example, who was literally at the Capitol on January 6th. He was subpoenaed mm -hmm. by the January 6th committee. This guy's come out and said he could decertify every voting machine in Pennsylvania. It's basically a certainty that that if a Democrat uh, won in Pennsylvania in the presidential contest and Doug Mastriano was governor, those electoral votes under no circumstances would be granted to that Democrat. Is this just an outright acknowledgement that Republicans are rejecting liberal democracy? <laughs> uh, I mean, to, to, to nominate, like, I know, I know, like, the questions like that can can come across as like hysterical but when you have a guy whose entire platform is rejecting illiberal democracy and he's chosen in a bellwether state no less like in pennsylvania as as the gubernatorial nominee for the republican party is that is that not what the message is i think you know different people will interpret the message in different ways um i i think that you know his the the, the big question going forward is um you know, there's a difference between a primary election and a general election. And, you know, have the Republicans just nominated somebody who's unelectable in a general election and actually given the Democrats a chance to um, to win a race that they might not have won in a year that's not particularly favorable uh, to, to Democrats. And if um, the people of Pennsylvania come out in the fall and reject um, that candidate and instead choose a different path, um, I think they'll be sending a message to the rest of the country that maybe that sort of thing um, is uh, not the way to go. If you had to boil down what you do think the most effective message would be heading into November for both parties, what do you think it would be? Actually, I mean, I, I, I think I know what it would be for, for the Republican Party, but but yeah, for both parties, what do you, what do you think, what do you think it would be for the Republican Party? I mean, I think, look, look at the, the economic situation, right? Like we have high gas prices and high inflation right now. I think as Democrats, you can push back and say every country in the world is dealing with inflation right now. There was just an article the other day that I read where conservatives in Canada were blaming Trudeau uh, for all of the high prices, which I thought was ironic because uh, I had been told on a, a relentless 
uh, loop that it was Joe Biden's fault. So it's interesting to see every leader in charge is taking the blame for a global issue of inflation as we come out of uh, as we come out of this pandemic. Well, if I was in charge, I would try to find a way, and I don't know if it's possible, but to actually work with Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and say to them, okay, guys, what do you want? What do you want? Let's do the biggest issues are inflation and cutting costs for the American people. And how can we do this? And I would pass something (laughs) to go the entire year or the past two years and pass nothing because you can't get your own people to vote for it does not send a great message to the people of the country. So I would do something because as the Democrats, you're in charge and you can pass something and send a message to the American people that we understand the pain that you're going through. We understand that it's real and we are going to work to cut costs for you and make life a little bit easier. Um, And not just make it a messaging thing, but actually do something and then run them. Um, But I'm not in charge. Yeah, I mean, that's been a recurring theme. Everybody I've spoken with, even uh, Representative Jayapal, deliver. That's the number one message. They want to see Democrats deliver. And, you know, just with regard to what you said about cinema, that is, of course, assuming that chaos and watching the world burn isn't her motivation in all of well, this. And, and also, you know, we'll see what happens with, with uh, Roe. And, and we, we don't know yet is what were the motivations for leaking this draft copy? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it possible that the court has moved since that draft copy uh, was put out and all the rest of that? But if um, a woman's right to choose is taken away in 25 states in this country, um, that is a, a political earthquake, and yes. that is an issue worth running on, um, uh, because that is something that the Republicans, if you notice, um, almost every one of their statements, and I know you noticed this, um, after that draft leak came out, were, oh my God, the leak, the leak, <laughs> yeah. how dare they, how dare they put out this leak? And nobody said, oh, we as a party for the last 50 years have run on every election as this is our big thing. (laughs) We stopped Merrick Garland from getting a hearing so this could happen. We got Amy Coney Barrett in with like three days left so that this could happen. We have had a calculated, you know, political uh, operation funded by some of the wealthiest people in the country with this as the goal for 50 years. And we finally made it happen. But they couldn't do that because they thought the politics of it was bad. So it was yeah. like, oh, my God, how about that leak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, but that's an issue like that is an issue worth running on. And it is a reminder to people that elections have consequences, that voting matters, that it's important to get out there, that this isn't just conceptual stuff. I think our country has gotten so used to faux outrage and bullshit and things not actually happening and everybody wanting the issue because it's good for cable news or good for tweets but not necessarily wanting the actual solution that in this situation if you actually get to the promised land of where they've been trying to go for so long um it's a reminder that you know that happens sometimes (laughs) Sometimes yeah the dog catches its tail or, or whatever it is you know what i mean that could be what's happening here. And the sad part of it is, is as you know, and, and as your listeners know, this isn't a game. Um, you know, there are, that's going to impact the lives of millions and millions of people. And, and there are women that, you know, could very well die uh, because of this. We had a very powerful interview 
a couple of weeks ago, and I encourage people to listen to the Issue Is podcast or watch, find this on YouTube with Gloria Allred um, uh, talking about her experience um, before Roe, where she was raped in Mexico at gunpoint, got pregnant, had to have an illegal abortion, almost died in the process, um, and how that was her motivating factor to get involved in, in all the activism she has for the last 50 years. But um, th this isn't a game, folks. Couldn't have said it better, Alex. Uh, I, I would also recommend for anyone listening, check out the Issue Is podcast. Uh, Alex, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We've got a, a great interview with the guys behind This Will Not Pass, that, that uh, New York Times bestseller from the New York Times reporter. Um, and so you can check that out either on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Alex Michelson, or search for The Issue Is wherever you search for podcasts. Brian. You are the man, and we can't wait to see you as president one day. <laughs> from, well, from, from your lips to God's ears. All right, Alex, thanks again. Thanks again to Alex. One last note, if you're new, please subscribe to the show and feel free to leave a review and also recommend it to a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get new listeners. Okay, that's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review, and check out briantylercohen.com for links to all of my other channels. 